You are not designed to perform for God's provision, to achieve his approval, or to labor for his love. No, you are designed to have it all with no effort or earning. And you're about to see some fascinating scripture and science that proves it. Get ready for the truth to set you free. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down those lies and struggles that are keeping you from thriving in God's design for your life. And I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join me live sometime Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. By the way, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button if you haven't yet. That'll keep you in the know of our latest show. Every created thing has needs, needs that need to be met in order for it to operate efficiently, correctly, healthy, or at all. We know that plants have needs. How many of you have learned this the hard way? I have. I've killed way too many plants in my day because I didn't know what it needed. Some plants need more sunlight, some less, some more water, some less, some warmer soil, some cooler soil. Now, sometimes they can get by with not getting the full amounts of what they need, but it's usually evident they won't grow as large or as full, or they might be more susceptible to disease. Same with cars. They have needs. They need gas or electric. If they're fuel run, they need a certain kind of fuel. Some need higher octane than others. The first new car that I bought shortly after college needed premium gas. But I was cheap, partly because I spent all my money buying this nice car, but didn't budget to give it the gas that it needed. So I filled it up with 89 octane instead of 93. And it ran, but it ran with a rotten egg smell that occasionally came from the motor. It probably ran a bit inefficiently when it came to fuel economy. Well, humans have needs. You have needs. Can I get a witness? Now, not everything that you think you need is something you were designed for. I differentiate our needs into three categories, God-given, world-given, and wound-given. The first category is the real one, of course. The second and third are usually cravings for things that we didn't get as a child or maybe because we were hurt in a certain way. Growing up, I craved a whole lot of applause and accolades and attaboys because I didn't get acceptance from my peers. Well, God didn't create me to need applause. That's a wound-given need, for example. But God did create me for belonging. He created you for belonging. That need is one of five categories in what's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. It's a psychological principle, but don't get scared by that. True psychology, like true science, is really just the study of God's creation. It's the study of how we were created, how we operate, and how we should operate based on how we were created. In 1943, the psychologist Maslow published a theory, and he illustrated his theory in the form of a triangle of needs. 
at the bottom, the very foundational level, is the physiological needs. These are the basics, food, air, water, absolute survival stuff. Second level, safety needs. Obviously, once you have things like nutrients and oxygen, you need to be protected. So you have safety needs that include shelter, financial health requirements. Third level, social needs. This is where belonging fits in, friendships, love. Fourth set of needs are esteem needs. That's respect and appreciation. You deserve respect. It's true. You require respect in some way. At the top of the triangle is a category of needs called self-actualization. What does that mean? It's simply the realization of purpose. Everybody's got to believe they have a purpose. Gifts, talents, passions, so on. It's all part of that. Like I said, these aren't from some new age psychological theory that you need to be afraid of. Really, you can see all of these in just the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. In Genesis 2, he formed man to need the air and plants and water that he created. That's the physiological needs. In Genesis 2, he placed the first family in the Garden of Eden where he provided their shelter and kept them in good health. That's the safety need. In Genesis 2, he said it's not good for the man to be alone, so he created the family and he created them to be in relationship with him. So that's the social need. The fact that we are made by God's hands is enough to show that we are worthy of respect. But in Genesis 1.27, God says that he created humans in his own image. We need to recognize others in his image, appreciate others accordingly, and be appreciated and recognized as such. There's the esteem need. I think that also illustrates the actualization need. As one's made in God's image, we reflect different parts of him. That includes our personalities and passions. God created us to find enjoyment and satisfaction in our unique designs. Now, I want you to notice something here. Before sin, all of these needs were met by God, effortlessly and unearned. Adam and Eve weren't told to produce anything for themselves. God said in Genesis 129, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. Everything they needed was God provided. And with that, everything worked as it was meant to. Creation thrived, Adam and Eve were at peace. I think most of us know what happened, though. Don't quite know how long it was after creation. Could have been upwards of 100 years. But at some point, the serpent entered creation, convinced the first couple they needed something more, and they fell to the first sin. They had to leave Eden. Now, that didn't change how God continued to relate to them. He still related to them according to his character of unconditional love. Explore all of that in my upcoming book, Permission to be Imperfect. 
But for the sake of this message, what I want us to see is that after sin, God didn't change how we were made or what we were made for. Humans are still designed, you and I are still designed to have our needs met in an effortless and unearned way by Him. And we operate best, we thrive most when we get that. But what changed is that humans started to seek to find our needs in other places and to achieve our needs ourselves. For example, as time went on, God's people cried out for a king. God is their true king, but they wanted a human king. Finally, God relented and gave them what they wanted, ultimately to show them that it's not what they needed. That's not going to be their supply. But they had to learn that. And it's basically the same with the law of Moses. God established the law never as a way for people to have their needs fulfilled, but ultimately to bring them to a place where they realize their need for him again. Everything God did with the law was intended to help people see that he has to be their supply, that they're designed for his grace, that they're empowered by his love and nothing else. It took the law for them to realize that or hopefully realize that. But the human will is strong and stubborn. And after years of living in a certain way, it can be very difficult to break the habits we developed, even if they don't serve us well. I mean, how many sad stories do we hear of people remaining in toxic, abusive environments and relationships, not because they serve them well, but because that's all they've known and all that kind of weirdly, strangely makes sense to them. So anyway, a pattern of thinking and living developed in the time between Adam and Eve and Jesus. In Romans 12.2, the Apostle Paul calls it a pattern of the world. And really, this pattern was living by performance. God's people had grown to believe that their provision, their needs being met, was based on how well they performed the law. If they performed the law well enough, they'd be kept alive. That's physiological. If they performed the law well enough, God would bless them with good health and prosperity. That's safety. If they performed the law well enough, they'd be in right standing with God and with other people. That's social. They performed the law well enough, they could be considered accepted and worthy and useful to God. That's esteem and self-actualization. Do you see? After sin, over time, people tried to meet their needs through performance, rule-keeping and self-discipline. God sent Jesus to change that. To get them back to total dependence on him back to relationship with him according to how humans were designed based on love and grace. Let's go to John 1, verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. Here's who he is. Here's his full character. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Verse 17 
For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness, another word for that in some Bibles is grace, came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus brought back unfailing love and grace, 100% pure grace as the way that God relates to his people. So let me pause here to quickly recap everything I just said. God created humans to find their needs completely in him. The creation story illustrates that. After sin, humans began to look for their needs outside of him. They strive to achieve them. They strive to earn them. That's the pattern of the world. And living according to that, well, things fall apart quickly. God sent Jesus to restore our relationship with him based on his true character of unfailing love. Or in other words, based on us having to earn nothing from him, prove nothing to him, produce nothing for him, but receive everything from him effortlessly and unearned, just as Adam and Eve did before sin. And Jesus accomplished that. When he said, it is finished from the cross, he announced this plan was done. He had done the work necessary to forgive sins and therefore reconcile the world back to God. So on the part of God, he's relating to us as he did to people before sin, which is through grace. He's not divvying out blessings according to how we perform anymore. He can't be convinced to provide our needs. He just does it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So the problem then is really on our part. Too many of us who call ourselves believers are still living according to the pattern of the world, according to that old system of do to get, achieve to receive. We're still living as if we're sinners in the hands of an angry God or beggars in the hands of a bipolar God, or servants in the hands of a slave master God, when the truth is that we are children in the hands of a good father. And so when we live according to that old system, trying to perform for God, then we run into all the same problems that humans did when they tried to live by the law. At best, we don't live effectively. At worst, we get destroyed. I just suggest if you're wondering why you're stressed and frustrated and exhausted all the time, there's a good chance it's because you're trying to achieve something through performance instead of receiving it from God just because you're his and he loves you. Our bodies prove this principle. Ever had an experience where somebody put you on the spot to remember something? Maybe something as simple as someone's name. And in that moment, when all eyes were on you, when you needed the answer, then and there, you just couldn't remember it. Maybe it was even on a test. How many of us have had that? We studied, we knew the answer, but it just wasn't coming to us when we needed it. Of course, who hasn't experienced that? It's called choking under pressure. Athletes experience it all the time. It's been studied. They miss far more shots and goals 
when the pressure's on during games than they do during practices. And all of this is because the body goes into danger mode when it perceives pressure. It shuts down the energy-consuming functions that your brain relies on to think clearly, and it sends all the resources to try to keep you alive. It thinks it's in danger because it's not what it was created for. So it doesn't matter if it's throwing a basketball or remembering a name or losing weight or trying to stop a bad habit. You fail far more when you believe that everything rides on your performance or perfection. A Bible verse behind this is 1 Corinthians 15.56. It says law gives sin its power. A Bible story behind this is the story of the Apostle Paul's struggle in Romans 7. Here, Paul talks about what life was like when he tried to keep the law. Apparently, the commandment not to covet was an issue for him. So he doubled down on trying to follow the commandment. But he found that the harder he tried, the more he failed. I've realized that in a few diets. When I wasn't supposed to eat a Krispy Kreme donut, that's when I wanted them all the more and eventually caved in. Paul had the same problem with not coveting. One of the Ten Commandments, Romans 7, 9, he said, When I learned the command not to covet, the power of sin came to life. And this led to the infamous thing that he said. A lot of us have heard this if we've been in the church world for a while. In verse 15, he said, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I think we all can relate to that if we're honest. Trying so hard, the pressure of trying so hard caused him to fail and do things he hates. I could go on and on with this point, but the point is, the more pressure you put on yourself to follow the rules, the more you end up failing. The body was not designed to operate under pressure, not for long. It was designed to operate in an environment where there is no pressure. Your body does better. You do better when you know that your performance does not affect God's love or your standing with him. That's grace. And Jesus provided our return to that once and for all. Our bodies also prove that the more you feel love, the stronger you are, the better you grow, the healthier you stay. Apparently, there's a hormone in us that scientists call the love drug. And it gets activated when we feel loved or believe that we're loved. Seriously, scientists observe that people who are in an environment of love, or they're told they're loved, like I said, believe they're loved, well, those people have less stress. If they are hurt, their wounds heal faster. People who know they are loved are often willing to endure things that they wouldn't or couldn't before. You've probably heard the story of the mother who saw a child pinned under a car and suddenly had the strength to lift the car when she wouldn't have the strength, obviously, otherwise. Those are true stories, by the way. 
They're actually newspaper reportings of those types of events. Well, it's all part of this. It's this hormone that gets activated in us that gives us strength and enables us to do things we never could do otherwise. Over the years, I've watched many people give up dream jobs, luxury cars, name brand clothes to have a spouse or a family for love. They didn't regret it for a minute. Love makes things worth whatever it costs. That's some kind of power right there. Now, I know that the Apostle Paul couldn't have comprehended the science of this. He didn't know about hormones. But he knew enough to know that love is the greatest gift of grace and that it produces a power that he said in 1 Corinthians, bears all things and endures all things. That's strength and perseverance. Interestingly, science also demonstrates that love is important for growth in every stage of life. We know about the very beginning, I hope, the birds and the bees. Love is supposed to be what drives the uh, process by which life is created. They say that this love hormone is what stimulates the right muscles in the mother's body to help a baby go from the womb to the delivery room. It's also what stimulates her body to produce milk and what bonds her with her baby. Love is important right there at the beginning. Without that love, without that love bond, babies don't develop as well. And while a mother's love is less consequential to growth, as a child matures into an adult, the need for love remains all throughout somebody's existence. The hormone that it produces promotes happiness, a stronger immune system, and a longer life. You can look all of that up. There are reports after reports after reports. Google it. But it seems that all the pop songs about the power of love are right. The evidence abounds. Humans need love, and we respond positively to it. But should that surprise us? After all, we are made in God's image, who is unfailing love. As I've said a lot recently, we are made by love, with love, and for love. And think about this. If knowing the love of an imperfect human has such benefits for your life. Imagine what knowing the unconditional love of your perfect God does. Well, the Apostle John told us something about that. In 1 John 4, 18, he said, perfect love casts out all fear. Paul told us something about it too. In Ephesians 3, 19, he says, may you experience the love of Christ, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's everything we've been talking about, the strength and the endurance and the power and the health comes from knowing your love by God. Fullness, made complete, having no needs. That's what that all means. Nothing can do that. Nothing can complete you except for what you were made for. And according to Paul, that's the unfailing, unconditional love of God. So let's get back to Romans 12, 2. 
Paul said, stop conforming to the pattern of the world. Again, stop trying to please God through performance or rule-keeping and self-discipline. As we've seen through spiritual and scientific examples, that all just leads to failure. It leads to choking under pressure. You aren't designed for it. You're designed for grace. And because of Jesus, you don't have to search for it. You don't have to wait for it. Grace is here waiting for you right now. God's already relating to you with it, whether you know it or not. But knowing it is the key to really experiencing and feeling the benefits of it in your life here on earth. That's why Paul continued to say, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think or be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Same verse. In other words, as you know that God loves you, and as you know he's forgiven you, and as you know that you can't let him down, as you know that the pressure's off, you're going to produce fruit naturally. You will do what you were designed to do when you have what you were designed to have. So let me help you get started. I have some truths right here to help you renew your mind, to kickstart the process. Like eight scriptures here, I'm going to rattle off kind of go through what they mean at the same time. Get out your notes app or a pen and paper. Take these truths down so that you can get them down, go back, read them yourself, comprehend what they mean for you. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Romans 8, 39, nothing can separate you from his love. So this means you are loved whether you know it or not. You are loved whether you feel it or not. You are loved in a way that no person, no past, no body, no battle, no sin, no struggle can separate you from. That's unconditional love. Hebrews 10, 12. Jesus offered himself as the final sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. That means your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. What's more, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So as one in Christ, God is no longer holding your sins against you. Again, past, present, future. So you don't have to live under the pressure of being perfect or else. In fact, your performance doesn't affect your standing with God. That's because 2 Corinthians 5.17, you were made new. Romans 3.22, you were made right. Colossians 2.10, you were made whole. 1 Corinthians 6.11, you were made holy. How? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. My friend, you and I are back to where we were always supposed to be how we were designed to be, upheld, secured, and provided for in a way that you can't earn, inhibit, or undo. 
and you will do better, be stronger, grow most when you know that. Some of you probably need to come back to this message and replay at least the last minute or so of all these scriptures that I went through. Because truly, this here, this is the gospel. This is the truth, the good news that sets you free. Okay. Like I said, you don't have to work for grace. You don't have to ask for it. Because of Jesus, you have it. God is already relating to you through it. But are you relating to him through grace? And are you relating to yourself through grace? That might be the big question. I can help you with that. It's why I created my Think on These Things 30-Day Scripture Journal. This journal starts with a short chapter about renewing your mind. Then it guides you through 30 days of grace-based scriptures with journaling prompts that help you think through what the truth means about you. Now, of course, this doesn't change God, but it changes you because it helps you finally see yourself as he does. So this Think on These Things journal is available to order on my website at kylewinkler.org journal. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, to tap that subscribe or follow button. That way you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.